So I'm pleased to be here uh, for those who came in during the sitting. Uh, my name's Donald Rothberg. I live in Berkeley, and I'll say just a little bit about my background before before talking. See, I've been practicing actually over over 25 years, <laughs> which is which is a, a lot. It's a lot of years. It's almost getting up there. And uh, my first teacher was uh, Joseph Goldstein. And I've also uh, worked a lot with uh, some with Jack Kornfield, uh, Christopher Titmus, uh, Sharon Salzberg. And the last few years, I've been particularly uh, encouraged and mentored some to take further roles as a teacher by, uh, by John Travis and Sylvia Borstein and also by Gil with whom I um, work. Uh, we, we meet once a month and check in about various matters. So uh, I also work a lot with uh, Buddhist Peace Fellowship and have been particularly um, active in the last few months, as you might gather. I'm not going to talk about that aspect of things much. It might come up in the uh, questions. I, I may talk about that more. I'm going to be down here again on a Sunday on May 11th, which is Mother's Day, and I'll, I may talk more about uh, that aspect of my of my work. So I've been working with Buddhist Peace Fellowship about uh, almost uh, 15 years, and I also am um, a teacher at Saybrook Graduate School, where I direct a program called Socially Engaged Spirituality, which is an interfaith program. We read uh, and study Gandhi and King and liberation theology and so forth, as well as socially engaged Buddhism and uh, you know Thich Nhat Hanh, the Dalai Lama, and so forth. So I'm also I'm also a writer, uh, and I'm actually working on a book now on the the um, core principles and practices for uh, connecting inner and outer transformation. So, that being said, I want to talk about a very traditional topic, and and that uh, topic tonight, I want to talk about uh, uh, effort in practice. We might also talk about it in terms of uh, raising energy in our practice and in our lives, and in many ways, uh, we can really see the whole of our practice as moving towards a a high quality of effort and energy that becomes more and more our nature, more and more uh, spontaneous. So we don't have to to, uh, say, oh, I have to work harder or I have to put out more effort. That the direction of practice is towards our, our general energy levels Increasing and effort becoming more and more effortless, but still at a very high level. And I I was uh, reflecting, and you might reflect on people that you might know who have great energy. You know, might be your grandmother, you know, and uh, might be um, a friend, or it might be you might know yourself at certain moments. Do you know at certain moments how you've you were just fully in an activity, and it may have been just a, a few hours, but there might have been a fullness and a quality almost of effortless effort. I know that the first time that this really uh, came to me in a conscious way was when I was a college student, and one evening I was working on a paper. I don't even remember the topic of the paper. I think it was a philosophy paper. Um, And I found myself so immersed in it that I was not self-conscious, I was not aware of the passage of time, and I came out after about three hours, and it felt like something magical had happened. There was a quality of very uh, beautiful, intense, non-self-conscious, full effort without thinking about time at all. 
And I think we all know that in our lives at different times. And I, I'm going to talk about effort uh, and about how to increase effort, but I think that that is, in a way, is the direction, that that quality of fullness of our being without straining is the direction. And yet, to get there, we have to apply effort. It's something like those old cars that you can see in the silent films, you know, where the person gets out in front of the car and sort of cranks it up, cranks it up, and after it starts sputtering and backfiring and so on, eventually it catches, and then the person hops in the car and off they ride and and so forth. It's a little bit like that, that most of us are mostly at the stage of still doing the cranking. And we're not quite, we're not quite at the point where we're just in the car, it's riding, everything's full of energy, blissful, spontaneous, no consciousness about time. So what I want to do is to talk about, mostly about some ways to increase uh, our effort, our energy, in our practice. And at the end, I'm going to come back a little bit more to that quality of effortless effort, which is really such a, a beautiful and inspiring uh, quality when we, when we touch that. So, mostly in our practice, we could talk about effort as the effort to be aware You could say it's really the effort to be as aware as we can, to apply as much wisdom as we can, and to have our hearts open as much as possible. And so all of what I will say is essentially a kind of unpacking of that sense of effort as what helps us to be more present, what helps us to be wise and discerning, because we can be very aware in the sense of being mindful and not be very wise. I can be mindfully, slowly walking across the street, being very aware of my body and not very wise about the large incoming truck. And we might think sometimes our lives are like that. We're like the, we have the mindfulness, but not the wisdom. So the effort has to include the qualities of awareness, and of cultivating wisdom, and of opening the heart. It's that balancing that wisdom with compassion, which is really, it's really what this practice is about. In the classical teachings, effort is right at the center. And so you find effort, uh, and the, the Pali word is a virya, a V-I-R-I-Y-A. And you find it, if you study the Buddhist literature, you find effort on most of the lists. You know, if you've come to some of these talks, you're familiar with the list, the four this, the three this, the five this, the eight this, and so forth. And effort turns up on a lot of that list. It's, it's one of the seven factors of the awakening quality of uh, our being. It's one of the five uh, powers. It's also... Uh, it also appears on the Eightfold Path, that right effort uh, appears there. So it's very, very central to, to the teachings. The general way that effort is understood is that it's a kind of support for our awakening. Without effort, we don't awaken very much. And some of us have a lot of effort or energy, and some of us don't. And in some ways... It, it doesn't matter because we just want to go to the next level. But it's, it's understood in the uh, classical tradition as being like the support of a house, that we need that supportive effort to really be able to see through our confusions, to be able to open our hearts, to be able to, uh, to, be able to express our wisdom in the moment. And a lot of the effort really comes down to be to actually intending to be aware. It's really, a lot of it comes down to being able to ask the question, what should I do now to learn to awaken? 
Because so much of our time, we can't really even ask that question. We can't put out the effort because we're caught in something. We're caught in our liking something and wanting it, or we're caught in our not liking something and trying to get rid of it. Efforts also likened in the classical classical text to the state of being a hero. I thought you'd like to hear that, that there's um, something about efforts which is very beautiful and heroic. There's, you know, this life is not easy. It's not easy living in a very um, a beautiful part of the world, part of the world that for many of us, there's a certain amount of privilege and a certain amount of material comfort, and we still know how hard life is. You know? And so this quality of effort is real. We can think of ourselves in a way as heroes. We are trying to awaken in the midst of life, which is sometimes challenging, sometimes difficult, sometimes quite an ordeal, sometimes very painful. And yet we keep on with the effort. And that's likened to the state of a hero. So I think we can, we can feel that. To, to work to develop effort in the midst of everything is the, is the work of a hero. There's a very specific teaching about effort, which I want to uh, tell you about, which is a, a teaching of the four efforts, the four endeavors, the four aspects of uh, bringing effort to our practice. And the, I want to outline these four and then talk about each of them. Uh, the first one is to make an effort so that states which are described as not wholesome, not helpful, uh, do not arise at all. This is called the non-arising of unarisen, unwholesome states. We can just think about it. <laughs> We can just think about that as basically avoiding that which isn't helpful. That's the first. Avoid that which isn't helpful. The first effort. The second great effort is if unwholesome states, and I'll talk about what that means in a moment, if unwholesome states or unhelpful states have arisen, get rid of them. This is called the abandoning of arisen unwholesome states. (laughs) And they have sort of, they have this kind of you know, somewhat detailed names, but it's actually pretty deep, deep subject matter. So the first is to avoid, not get into states which are not helpful. And the second is to learn how to get out of states which you've got into, which are not helpful. Okay. The third is called the arising of unarisen, unho- uh, the, the, <laughs> the arising of unarisen, unarisen, wholesome states. This basically means develop good states. This means to uh, do what's necessary to bring about more love, more compassion, more wisdom. That's the third kind of effort. So the first we can talk about as avoiding, the second as basically abandoning, the third as developing, and the fourth is called the maintenance of arisen, wholesome states. So it's, this would be, if you got something good, keep it going. <laughs> okay, so these are, these are four aspects of effort. And I want to just talk a moment about, and, and you've probably heard the, the word wholesome at different times here, and it's a kind of a Victorian translation of uh, a term which appears very often in the uh, teachings of the Buddha. The, the Pali word is kusala, or a kusala, and Gil probably talks a lot about that. I, would, I imagine if you've heard him. Um, it's often translated as wholesome or unwholesome. Sometimes it's translated as skillful or unskillful. And we could also translate it as helpful or unhelpful. It's basically those states which are not helpful or are helpful towards learning, towards awakening, towards growing. And classically in the text, uh, the simplest definition of what's uh, unwholesome is that which is linked to greed, hatred, and delusion is unwholesome. And wholesome or skillful or helpful is defined in terms of that which is uh, non-greed or generosity, 
uh, non-hatred, uh, which would mean kindness or love, and non-delusion, which would mean clear seeing. So that so that would states which uh, help uh, bring about uh, clear seeing and generosity and you know, basically the open heart and mind. Those would be called skillful or wholesome. So let's start with the non-arising of unarisen, unwholesome states. In other words, avoiding what's a problem. And traditionally, this often means uh, being very careful about the about what comes into your life. Being very careful about the input. And those of you who've read uh, Thich Nhat Hanh know that he talks a lot about mindful diet. And by that, he not only means one's food, but he means being very careful with one's consumption of images and ideas, especially as coming through the mass media. And so he talks about being quite careful about taking in images. And it's a very important issue now in the midst of the, the, you know, the invasion and the, the attack on Iraq and the aftermath and all the images on television. I'm sure many of you are actually trying to be very careful with how much you take in, you know. And sometimes you probably found yourself having taken in a lot and being very upset and being unbalanced. And this first sense of effort is really about being careful with what we let into our minds, our hearts, our experience. It's... uh, It's about, it's about watching our experience and knowing what's helpful and what's not helpful. You know, it might be part of this first type of effort could be likened to gaining more knowledge about what's helpful for ourselves. So there may be many parts of our experience where we say, I don't even want to go there. You know, it might be, can you think of uh, discussions you've had with friends, which just seemed after you had them just to be really not helpful. They maybe maybe it uh, intensified a tension between you, or it just seemed like it played on the worst of both of you, you know. And there are these parts of our lives which I think we need to learn from our experience where not to go, what not to bring up. And so it might be uh, it might be letting certain stimuli in, but it might also be choosing to go in certain directions and certain discussions. Uh, it might be to, to be careful about uh, following certain uh, certain thoughts. There's this uh, phrase that's uh, been popular in the last 10 or 20 years, don't even go there, which could be, uh, it could be seen as a main aspect of this first kind of effort. Uh, there is a, there's a wonderful passage in the... Uh, in the Majjhima Nikaya, which is one of the uh, collections of the Buddha's teachings, which talks about types of thoughts which are unwise and not very helpful. It would be an example of this first kind of effort not to do this. This is how a person attends unwisely. The person asked the question, was I in the past? Was I not in the past? What was I in the past? How was I in the past? Having been what? What did I become in the past? Shall I be in the future? Shall I not be in the future? What shall I be in the future? How shall I be in the future? Having been what? What shall I become in the future? Or else one is inwardly perplexed about the present. Am I? Am I not? What am I? How am I? Where has this being come from? Where will it go? And you get a sense of someone who just is all tangled up in thoughts. And sometimes actually the image is used of a thicket of ideas or a thicket of views that we just get caught in. And so this first sense of effort is really to to look at where we might get caught, to see um, what our habits are, and to be really careful about uh, not going in certain places. The second guideline about effort is for those who went where they maybe shouldn't have gone. (laughs) This is the abandoning of arisen unwholesome states. Okay, so the second quality of effort, and this is actually a very important one, is what do you do when you find yourself in a difficult state? What do you do when you find yourself having made an unwise decision? 
in some way. Or sometimes it just comes upon you, right? It just We are just ambushed by a very difficult state. And it's actually said that uh, one of the definitions of, of effort is that effort is enduring patience in the face of difficulty or suffering. That that is a prime sense of what effort... If can we, how are we when things are difficult? That will tell us a lot about our effort. And it's a very, very central form of effort that we don't, because our habitual reaction when something difficult happens is to freak out, right? Even with something small. Have you ever meditated and had a mosquito land on you? Have you ever watched your mind when you're meditating and a fly is walking over your lips? Sorry. <laughs> well, it's for most of us, it's some version of freaking out. So what do we do when more difficult things happen? You know, usually when something difficult happens, our habitual reaction will be either to blame ourselves or to blame others when something difficult happens. And so the the uh, urging of this particular teaching is when something difficult happens to apply effort rather than to be reactive. And so uh, there are a lot of things that we can really do that when something difficult happens, when some, you know, for example, it might be when we're meditating and we have a knee pain, or it might be in, in, in real life when we um, have just had a difficult interaction with someone close to us, you know, a family member, a friend, a partner. And what do you do with those emotions? What do you do when, some, when you suddenly feel really, really angry and destructive and thoughts are coming into your mind about um, bad things happening to the person who's the target of your anger. I had one of those experiences a few hours ago, <laughs> and you may have also. And it's, they're very, you know, in practice, they really can be seen as wake-up calls. Like, what do you do in those states? And so there are actually a whole set of uh, ways to work with difficulties that could be actually a whole talk in itself. So I want to be brief here but just to give a kind of uh, cataloging, how can we be with difficult states? The first is to be mindful. It's just to know that something is happening and naming that I'm angry or naming that I'm confused or naming that this is very painful is uh, goes a tremendous way. That, in fact, I, could, I would say that it's almost like our, our habitual life, it's like we're beneath the surface of the water. When we are mindful, it's like we're raising our head like the neck of a turtle out of the water. And there's some kind of ability to see and get out, as it were, of the muck, just from being mindful. So the ability just to name what's happening is crucial to being with difficult experiences. Sometimes we can't do that so easily, so it's sometimes helpful when we're having a difficult emotion just to ground in our body or to be with our breath. You know, you've just had a difficult time with a partner. Come back to the breathing. Come back to being in the body. Go to, go to a way of cooling out a little bit. Sometimes it's very helpful to use metta or to use the loving-kindness practice. Sometimes it's very helpful to... Um, just take a walk to do something which brings the mind and the heart back to balance. You know, it may be to exercise. You know, it may be to take a walk. It may be to be in nature. These are all ways that we, in a way, the ways that we expend effort to address a difficult state or a, a, a state that we know is not helpful that's arisen. We can also reflect sometimes on what's happening and say, do I really want to do this? You know, do I really want to follow this, follow this state? What should I do now? We can really ask ourselves that question. We can also sometimes look deeply 
at what's happened and look at our hearts and see what the, see what that difficulty is trying to tell us. So there are all these ways of acting when difficult states come about. And those, these are kind of the California version of what to do when difficult states come. What it actually says in the text for the, for the monks or nuns is a little more direct. It says, one abandons it, destroys it, dispels it, and wipes it out of existence. <laughs> Uh, we can do that more gently or more, more actively. So now we get to the uh, working with the wholesome states or the bringing about of really positive states. So this third type of effort is the, uh, it's called the arising of unarisen wholesome states. It's basically how do we bring into being qualities which are not there for which we might develop further. How do we bring more love? How do we bring more mindfulness? How do we bring more wisdom into our being? And we could say that the whole of our practice is finding ways to do that. Just by sitting, we are expending effort that brings about positive qualities. Uh, there are also a lot of other ways to bring about um, effort because the real question is, how do you do this in your life? You know, You might, when we're sitting here and we're supported, Maybe we're pretty mindful. How mindful are you on the freeway at 8.30 in the morning? This is not a pop quiz. Uh, But how how mindful are we at those times? Somehow we need to find ways to keep developing those positive qualities more and more in our lives. I think having a center, you could say, is a very skillful effort to help the arising of unarisen wholesome factors because it's creating a container, a magnet, a, a way to draw people in and to help, uh, help energy develop. Another way sometimes that helps bring about energy or effort is to, uh, is to develop more of a sense of urgency. Sometimes we're pretty complacent about our lives, aren't we? You know, we're just going about our business and we think we have an endless amount of time and we can just kind of do our spiritual growth at a leisurely pace. And sometimes it's very helpful to really ask ourselves, what am I doing? In Tibetan practice, there are a series of reflections that are meant to develop a sense of urgency in our lives. And some of you may know these, these reflections. One of them is the reflection on the certainty of death. And it's to reflect on our death and it's to know that we're certain that we will die. We don't know when. And so we don't know, in some ways, we don't know the situation here. We don't know the way the society is moving. We have conditions now in which we can practice. We don't know the way things are going to be in five years. We know from looking at history that sometimes open conditions of openness shift radically. You know, we know that, that economies fail sometimes. We don't know what's going to happen. We, don't, we can't assume that we're going to have the same conditions. This can give some sense of urgency. The Buddha once said, Practice as if your hair is on fire. And there are often invocations in the text that every moment matters. And somehow we don't get that, right? And I speak for myself as well. Sometimes, somehow we don't quite get that. Every moment of mindfulness matters for our own growth, our own well-being. And so that, that reflection on urgency is one of the ways to arise energy, to arouse energy, to help bring it into being. Another way to actually bring about energy is to, um, in any, is to really just begin, to start, to move, not to stay in a sense, uh, in, in, in a kind of, um, complacency or paralysis. It's actually to move, to just take steps towards awakening, towards towards learning. Uh, 
there's a beautiful quotation that, that has always inspired me, which is about really, it's about really taking the steps to be more committed. This is from a man who uh, wrote this, I think, uh, in the early part of the last century. He was one of the leaders of the Scottish Himalayan expedition. Okay, and this is what he said. This is about commitment and about effort. Until one is committed, there is hesitancy, the chance to draw back, always ineffectiveness. Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there is one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans, that the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. All sorts of things occur to help one that would never otherwise have occurred. A whole stream of events, issues from the decision raising in one's favor, all manner of unforeseen incidents and meetings and material assistance, which no person could have dreamt would have come his or her way. I have learned a deep respect for one of the lines of the German poet Goethe. Whatever you can do or dream you can, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. Whatever you can do or dream you can, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. The last quality of effort is if there are very positive states happening, to maintain them, to keep them going. This is called the maintenance of arisen, unwholesome states. So it's if you have good things going, keep them, keep them happening. And I think that it's actually a little more subtle than it might seem at first. You know, I know as a teacher, one of the things I'm really conscious of is to help people identify think their own strengths, things which they're doing well. Often we don't know our own strengths. And so it's really important to have friends or mentors or teachers to let us know, yeah, you're really doing that well. That's really important. Because I think when we know that, it's then that we can say, yeah, this is going well. I'm going to keep that going. As well as having a sense that things are actually developing well. And it's really, really crucial because you know what happens? Sometimes we get down on ourselves and we don't see our own beauty. We don't see our own strength. You might even think right now, you know, what are my positive qualities that are happening in my life right now? You know, what are the qualities that are there that are like foundations for me that I want to keep going? Because I think we often take those for granted particularly when we get a little bit down on ourselves, then, of course, we only see, right, we only see the negative and we don't see that we don't see the positive. So that's a very, I think that's a very important part of keeping what's good going. It's actually to know that it's happening. It's very, very crucial. And then we can think of what actually hap- helps us to keep our learning going, to keep our practice going. And again, I want to give a kind of a, a short list of some things which are very, very helpful to me. A certain amount of inner discipline is inescapable. That's sometimes a risky thing to say in America. But it's true. The Dalai Lama once said, inner discipline is the basis of spiritual practice. An ability to uh, have, it might mean to have a really have a regular daily practice. It might mean to really say, yes, this practice is a, is a priority. And I want to de- keep what I've developed and, and develop it further. A very important aspect of the maintenance of our positive qualities is the health of the body is having a fullness of our uh, bodily life so that we can actually um, have the energy, that the effort and energy 
to maintain that requires that we take care of ourselves, basically. That we, um, that we know how to do what's necessary to maintain our energy. And in these lives that many of us lead, which are very busy, sometimes we, we lose balance. We don't take care of ourselves. So this is, I think, a very fundamental part of maintaining uh, a positive effort. Community, obviously, is another one. The, you know, as I said, I think that this, uh, this hall, this building, uh, represents, you could say it represents something which helps effort. Just to be here strengthens our effort. And, and this, you could say that these, these walls and this, this space is all about, um, is all about effort in the sense of support. So it's really for this last one saying, what supports my practice? What supports, it, it may be to make more space in your lives for, for practice. It may be to make more space in your lives for what you think is most valuable. It's to be careful with, uh, to be careful with what we take into our systems. In, in traditional training, a key aspect of developing effort is a certain moderation in terms of eating and sleeping. You know, that a certain kind of moderation is very conducive to effort, is very conducive to developing effort. Another quality which really helps our effort is a, a sense of patience, a sense of the long haul, a sense of being able to uh, develop in that, to keep developing. In our, the daily lives we lead, I think a very fundamental aspect of effort is to keep on remembering to take each moment as a moment that we can be aware and learn. It's to keep reminding ourselves that I want to see my life in terms of learning. It's to... Um, realign our priorities somewhat so that we don't get so caught in the small stuff and that we really remember probably what's touched all of us at different times, that our lives can be that of developing love and wisdom and compassion and acting according to our gifts in the world. So I want to close by uh, again reminding us that we know at times this quality of full effort, that we experience sometimes this this um, sense of being as the uh, one of one of the uh, psychologists some of you know the psychologist who talked about the experience of being in the flow of having flow experiences right the person with a very difficult name to pronounce which I can't I know it begins with a CZ right but it, like Check on millage. I'm, I'm sorry, I won't, I won't go further with that. But he talks about the quality of sometimes in our lives we are in the flow. It's, it's those qualities of being uh, full, not self-conscious, tremendous energy, happy, buoyant, and and very clear seeing, and. It's something, it's a very, very beautiful state. Uh, there's, there's a wonderful quotation which I like to read uh, from the great uh, American spiritual teacher, uh, Bill Russell, who played for the Boston Celtics. Some of you know, know his, his work. And he was the great center who, who had these great um, bouts with Wilt Chamberlain, okay? And he talked about in sports when the energy is so full and so uh, so unselfconscious. In sports, it's called being in the zone. You may know that being being. You know that phrase, being in the zone. And this is what. And when one is having that fullness of effort, that unselfconscious effort, all sorts of uh, amazing things happen, as you may know. The heart opens. The mind opens. We see things in a different way. This is what Bill Russell said. Every so often, a Celtics game would heat up so that it became more than a physical or even mental game and would be magical. 
That feeling is difficult to describe, and I certainly never talked about it when I was playing. This is the quality of being in the zone, this fullness of effort. When it happened, I could feel my play rise to a new level. At that special level, all sorts of odd things happened. It was almost as if I were playing in slow motion. During those spells, I could almost sense how the next play would develop and where the next shot would be taken. Even before the other team brought the ball in bounds, I could feel it so keenly that I'd want to shout to my teammates, it's coming there, except I knew everything would change if I did. My premonitions would be consistently correct, and I always felt then that I not only knew all of the Celtics by heart, but also all of the opposing players, and that they all knew me. There have been many times in my career when I felt moved or joyful, but these were the moments when I had chills pulsing up and down my spine. That quality of touching that fullness of effort, of energy. And I'll close with one other expression of that fullness of energy. It's from the poet William Blake. He said this, Energy, fullness of energy, is the only life. Energy is the only life. Energy is eternal delight. Energy is eternal delight. And I think that's, that's what our, our practice points to. Those moments of fullness which are magical in which life is uh, something else than it usually is. And we get there by cranking up the engine. By going through that learning of these four qualities of effort, the avoiding what's not helpful, letting go or abandoning or working through what's not helpful that's already there, developing new qualities or things which are not yet there, which are helpful, and then maintaining that which is uh, helpful. We might talk about this as avoid, abandon, Develop and maintain. Avoid, abandon, develop, and maintain. And it's guaranteed that one will have this magical quality (laughs) of full energy and effort will appear at certain times. And if we practice really hard, it it gets stabilized. And it becomes the life and the nature that we live out of more and more. So that being said, I thank you for your attention and we could have some time for uh, discussion. I think I'll go just a little bit to before nine and then we'll do a a very short sitting right before nine to to finish. So there's some time for some time for questions or discussion. Yeah. Great question. Uh, everyone get that? It's it's um, right. It, there's a whole way of. Uh, and I, I, I knew this would come up in the question, so I didn't talk about it so much. But we, there are ways that we can misuse these teachings. We could use that first teaching and say, "Oh, I have a difficult. I, I have difficult emotions in my relationship, but those that would just arouse." Um, unarisen, unwholesome states. I know it would. Therefore, I'm not going to talk to my partner about this difficult area, right? So we could, that would be, that would be a misuse, right? So, so the, the, 
think the, I think the key, or a key, would be to see what one's motivation is. I mean, as always in this practice, we want to look at our intentions and our motivation. And if we find some aversion or fear, uh, we have to question a decision, let's say, not to do something which will set up some difficulty. And we want to distinguish between a difficult emotion and an unhelpful emotion. Okay, that's very important because to go into a territory which might arouse, uh, and this is a little bit tricky, and I think there's some ways that we may look at this a little bit differently than one might look at it in monastic training. You know, for example, in a relational context, we would say that it could be very important to go into an area which we may think would arouse some anger, right, in certain situations. Uh, and, and yet, maybe the discrimination would be which ways are not helpful, because we would know that there'd be ways to go into some area which where we just would, as it were, repeat our old, our old uh, tapes, right? We'd have, and, and so I think that there's some kind of discrimination that we, that we grow to develop around what's helpful and what's not helpful, what's skillful and what's not skillful, but it certainly doesn't mean uh, to avoid going into what's difficult. But it does mean to avoid going uh, into that which uh, takes us nowhere. And I guess we have to we have to sort that out. And I know in uh, yeah, the, by no means is this teaching meant to encourage people. It, it could be heard as an excuse not to go into anything that's difficult, right? Yeah. Do you have something to add to that? Yeah, exactly. That's very that's very helpful because the effort by itself um, could could be said to have a certain neutrality. In other words, we know that people who are doing things which may be quite harmful may have a lot of energy or effort. You know, there's a certain energy or effort of the ego, right? Or a very self-centered activity could be incredibly effortful. And have great effort, and so you're, so a key to this is that effort needs to be wise and skillful. You know, so so for example, one one example would mean uh, it's we may see some state of affairs which we think is a bad state of affairs. We may see, for example, we may see. Uh, conflict and hatred between people. And it would be very unwise to deal with that conflict by bringing about more hatred or conflict into the world. To, in other words, to respond to hatred by hatred. And, I mean, this is at the core of the teachings of the Buddha. You bring, basically, you bring love and understanding to, uh, to conflict, pain, hatred. It would be, skill- it would, so it would be unskillful to give this great effort to react to hatred by bringing hatred to the situation. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's right out there. You know that that um, you could you could look at that you could look at the what's happening now in the world and you know whether it's uh, you know what's happening in the Middle East uh, in uh, among Israelis and Palestinians or whatever it's there. Maybe an absence, or, or in Iraq, an absence of wise ways to deal with difficult situations. And so that skillfulness and wisdom has to be there, or the effort can be, you know, the effort can be uh, tremendous effort, but not wise. So the wis- that, that's, thank you for bringing that up, that's very crucial. Yeah. What I'm hearing through this too, which maybe you can help me understand, this is, I'm hearing what you're trying to say. Yeah. Is that um, perhaps, uh, Say, for we use one of your examples to have a difficult conversation and, and go someplace that you're not sure if it's wise to go there. Yeah. <clears throat> Maybe it's wise because um, you're addressing a state that's already exists. That's right. That you need to resolve and let go of, and then maybe it, it calls for <clears throat> going into the weight with might be a conflict. Yeah. 
Yep. That's a nice way to say it. Uh, did everyone hear? No. It's something like uh, in the example, and then this, I think it's partly uh, um, exploration of your your question. That in relationships we know that uh, there may be anger already there, and to explore it actually may have a motivation of actually uh, working through it, right? And if we take the idea of, oh, I don't want to get into anger because that's unwholesome, it would actually, the anger's maybe already present. And it's like we, and it, this would just be actually more, in that context of a relationship, it would be more a question of actually uh, being mindful and wise and compassionate about what exists rather than creating something new. And so I think that's, that's a beautiful, a beautiful point. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mark. I guess that one small example, I guess, that was a uh, point one was, uh, <clears throat> during the following uh, headlines. And you're just walking down the street, and I might be noticing nice things, but then you get into the commercial area, and all the newspapers. Yeah. And I would do different things depending on where I thought my mind was at or where I thought I would go. Like I would deliberately filter and avoid looking at things. Mm-hmm. And but but at the same time, I knew I didn't want to totally avoid that. You know, this is what's happening, and I had to have. So I had to figure out a way of taking it in that didn't throw me off balance. Mm-hmm. You know, and and sometimes I did okay, and sometimes I didn't, but. But it was something I was aware of from previous talks I've heard along these lines. Yeah. It's almost something really personal, isn't it? I mean, it's like how do you how do we live our lives uh, in terms of effort, in terms of what we take in, what we don't take in? I think it's very individual. You know, uh, what do we? I think the key here is really to raise the question. Right. That's what's. That's what's being said. That's what I want to communicate the most. It's to, say, it's to say, how do I ask the question? How can I keep asking the question as much as possible? Is this helpful? You know, or what? And, and a lot of it, I think, like you say, is really dependent on a lot of uh, inquiry and constant checking things out, what they're like in our experience. You know, one of the things that I like to do a lot is... When, I, when I'm in a state that's really difficult, you know, I don't know, maybe I've, um, uh, I don't know, eaten too much or, or um, made a choice that I'm not so happy about. I like to feel what it's like in my body and my mind because there's something about our usual tendency is when we're feeling bad is actually just to try to get rid of it, right? If we actually can be aware, what does this feel like? What does it feel like when I've uh, looked at the news for too, too long? What does it feel like when I've, or what's it feel conversely when I uh, have a different balance? But to feel, particularly to feel what it's like when I'm a little bit out of balance, feel what it's like in the body and the heart and the mind, I find that is extremely helpful for really learning from experience. That's really like, so you might think next time you have a difficult experience, Okay, what is this like? This what, am, what is it like to feel imbalanced? For me, when I do that, if I come to a crossroads where I can make a certain choice, if I've done that a lot of times, I don't get so fooled. Right? I don't get, oh, oh yeah, that would be great to eat that box of whatever. <laughs> you know? So it's like, this is, it's really saying that mindfulness is a great teacher. And also to say, uh, Experiment. Experiment. Keep asking the question. What's right effort or what's good effort right now? What do I do in the moment to keep learning? You know, because uh, somehow we have to do that in our lives. We don't, you know, we don't live in monasteries. If we're interested in spiritual development, somehow we have to make it real uh, in a lot of parts of our lives where either we have no support or even we have things coming at us that actually make things hard. 
You know, I mean, we have a culture that doesn't support, in many ways, doesn't support uh, awakening or learning. And we're bombarded by images and uh, uh, sights and sounds that sometimes can throw us around, you know. Um, so just to keep asking that question, what can I do now to, to keep learning in this, in this moment? Is it helpful to not take that in? Is it helpful to develop this now? Oh, I'm having a difficult experience. What's appropriate effort right now? So I think it's that quality of uh, so central in this practice is remembering to ask the question. It's basically they ask a version of the question, what's happening? What's happening? <laughs> what's happening? And if we keep asking that and leave some open space, then we can say, oh, this is happening. Oh, okay. So what's wise to do? Now, maybe I'll close just with a story that... Uh, some of you know Sylvia Borstein, who's one of my mentors, and she she has a lot of internal dialogues, as you may know. She tells stories, and she would go something like this. She would be saying, it'd be like, oh, you're having a difficult experience, aren't you, Sylvia? I am. What should you do? I don't know. What should I do? What should I do? Maybe just breathe. Oh, that's a good idea. Oh, yeah, I'll just breathe and I'll name what's happening. And, oh, I know what to do. I'll take a walk. Really smart, Sylvia. <laughs> and, and you can do some version of that internal dialogue, right? It's like each of us has to do something like that. And it's actually, it can be actually quite humorous because uh, we can actually be like our cheerleader saying, oh, really good Good thought, Donald. No, you're doing well. <laughs> no, we can each we can each do that, and I think we need yeah we need to we basically I'll, I'll just end with this we need each of us need to be like our own cheerleaders and imagine ourselves just running around having this bunch of cheerleaders with us every moment of the day, just really encouraging us and saying, "Go, Donald. Go, Sylvia. You know." Go Mark, go Andrea, you know, like that, just to keep doing that. So how do you, how do you, maybe this is how, what the Dharma looks like when it comes to America, but how do you get your cheerleaders working? <laughs> it's another way to talk about effort. So I'll stop there and just maybe just in a, a minute or two, if I could ask us to just sit together to close And first, uh, just to be present with our bodies, with our breathing. And to invite to come to our awareness whatever may have been most important about this evening. Something that may have come on your way here or in the sitting or in the talk and discussion. What's been important about what's happened this evening? Is there anything that I've learned or seen more clearly that I want to bring more into my life? Is there any, is there any intention that comes to me from this evening? So in closing, I want to do a traditional dedication that we do this practice not just for ourselves, but for all beings. And so this evening, we share the value, the learning, the insights 
from this evening, we share this with all beings, with all persons we might meet, knowing that all of us want to be happy, want to be at peace. And so we dedicate the evening to peace, to awakening, to compassion. Thank you very much. I'll be around here for a little while more.